Welcome to Bank of Singapore Unplugged. As the the title of the session is on silver linings for Southeast Asia, I think the, the entire phrase silver linings uh, says it all. It implies that we're still in the middle of a pretty bad thunderstorm. We're not out of it yet, but we're beginning to see the silver linings. I think many of us, and particularly for myself in the travel industry, we thought we were in fact coming out of the crisis, and then this latest Omicron variant hit, and we're back to almost deja vu, but maybe a little bit less bad than before. Nevertheless, with each variant round, things seem to get a little bit better, and so there is ground for hope. This session is intended for us to analyze where Southeast Asia is at, the problems we've had, but more importantly, how are we going to come out of this crisis stronger than before? So the first one I would ask to answer the question is Kunapisit. What is the most unexpected shortcoming that you found in your country in terms of its response to COVID? But at the same time, what was the most surprising positive point you learned about your country? So I emphasize the words unexpected and surprising, meaning not the general things that we all expected, but what was unexpected that you expected to be better about your country that did not happen, but at the same time, what happened better than you thought would happen? So that would let us learn more about how to deal with such future crises. So I may start with uh, Kun Apisit. Okay. Um, the most unexpected shortcoming would be that I think Thailand had been ranked quite highly as far as our health system is concerned. And so uh, we believe we have the talents, we have people with uh, knowledge that could deal with this pandemic. Uh, but uh, there was a mishandling in terms of the procurement of vaccines, uh, and that sort of delayed the ability of people getting access to the vaccine uh, last year. I think that would be the most unexpected shortcoming. Uh, we expected better from, from the government in terms of having uh, the resources to, 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 uh, to, to be prepared um, for the vaccination program. Uh, but that's now largely corrected. I think the most uh, unexpected um, on the positive side would be that uh, we often say here in, in our country that our people don't have the discipline. But uh, what we've seen in the pandemic is not only remarkable discipline in terms of uh, cooperating largely with the government in terms of mask wearing, in terms of uh, getting vaccinated and so on. So we don't have um, the kind of protests and uh, problems that we see in the West about people not cooperating. And we also see how um, the uh, NGOs, civil society, actively engage in helping people out uh, in terms of uh, providing health services as well as uh, economic relief. So uh, I think that, that shows that there is uh, untapped strength in, in our society. Thank you. Thank you, Kuna Pisid. Uh, Dr. Anwar, would you agree to those same points or do you have some different observations about um, Malaysia? Well, somewhat similar in the beginning because um, the 
delay in the procurement of vaccines, the longest lockdown in, uh, as compared to any country in the world, and that has caused major difficulties for people, unemployment difficulties, which, which was uh, clearly unprecedented in this country. Uh, but uh, fortunately, things have uh, improved vastly uh, in terms of vaccines um, and, and also in terms of the general public following their strictly their SOPs. But again, after that has been quite resolved, we have uh, you know, to deal with the most difficult flood in recent history and that actually exposed the flaws in the system the delays, the uh, poor infrastructure. And, and uh, again, the positive point is that the number of Malaysians of all races coming out um, by the thousands, um, taking their own uh, initiative to uh, correct these excesses. But I think I, uh, what's regrettable is that the fragility of the administration um, has caused somewhat um, a lot of concerning to the uh, general public, and uh, it doesn't seem to be quite resolved. We tried to, in, in the part of the opposition to try and resolve this by entering to a, a memorandum of understanding with the government so that we are at least on par in terms of uh, dealing with COVID and the economic malaise, which uh, the Malaysia is trying to um, recover, uh, not as quickly, but I think uh, we are quite hopeful. George, my greatest disappointment was when our two land links to Malaysia were cut. Uh, when COVID started, my wife and I thought that uh, we would spend more time in our vacation house uh, across the second link and look forward to going there more often. Uh, I knew that it was theoretically possible that the land links might have to be heavily controlled, but I never thought that they'd be completely cut. Uh, the vegetables and meat still came across uh, in trucks. I think if both sides had worked harder, we could have found a way uh, to, to maintain some traffic uh, without uh, too great a cost on public health. Uh, on what surprised me on the positive side, uh, it was the sense of solidarity. Uh, of course, people are not happy. People grumble. Uh, because we all have our different views about what should be done, what is safe distancing, what vaccines are better, which may have longer side-term effects, and so on. I don't envy the ministers. It's a very tough job. And in the end, Someone has to make judgment calls. But on the whole, despite the unhappinesses, uh, there's been remarkable solidarity in Singapore and remarkable discipline. Thank you. It, it seems from there, I, what I, my takeaway there is that perhaps given our own confidence in our own public health systems, we had perhaps been caught by surprise. Our public health systems did not respond initially as effectively as we thought they would. The vaccines were not made as available as quickly as they should have. And that's a lesson for us for future public health crises. But the positive side I've heard from virtually everyone is that 
unlike some of the other countries in the West and in other areas, uh, in Southeast Asia, there was a great sense of uh, communitarianism about sharing this crisis together. And people really came together, uh, civil society came together with governments and essentially weathered this storm as one, one society rather than have this, cri this crisis divide us even further. So on, on the issue then of unity and a, the sort of similar sense of uh, a collegiality within Southeast Asian cultures, my next question is referring to the greater polarization in the world today. ASEAN benefited hugely from globalization, and now the world is deglobalizing. So would someone like to give their views about how can ASEAN maintain a neutrality in the face of both the US and China, making it more and more difficult for us to be neutral? How can ASEAN do so? And in fact, are some ASEAN states already beginning to break ranks? Maybe I should ask our foreign, ex-foreign minister to take that question first. George? Um, we are coming under increasing pressure because of the tension between the US and China. And their rivalry will continue for many more years to come. Psychologically, we should expect easily 10, 20 years of tension, oscillating between high tension and low tension. And we'll be caught in between, all of us in ASEAN, each by himself, may be caught between the rock and hard place. So it's very important that our sense of solidarity is increased. If we are united, not in the rigid way, but we stick together, like sticky rice, you know? not geometrically rigid, but in a flexible way, we will have a collective buffer. Then when we are asked to make a choice, we can say, no, there's an ASEAN position. And we all hide behind a common ASEAN position. This solidarity in ASEAN is a matter of life and death. And for all of us, it's very important that we put effort towards strengthening ASEAN and increasing our sense of being one community. When something happens, like the coup in Myanmar, it can divide us. And here we have to be very thoughtful. The easy way is to cut Myanmar off. You don't do what we say, you have not carried out your promises, you don't come. That is too easy a way out and it harms ASEAN. In ASEAN, we have a long tradition of finding ways to give each other face. If we say, we must be able to see Aung San Suu Kyi, if they agree, it will be a sign of weakness because it's under pressure from ASEAN. We should never talk like that. Our pressure should be internal. In the past, they always turn up for ASEAN meetings. When they attend, they get a year full from us. Every meeting, they know it. Peer pressure. But if we start grandstanding for the international media, then faith is involved for everybody and positions harden. 
So today, Myanmar is a test. I, I'm more hopeful uh, under the Cambodian chairmanship because Prime Minister Hun Sen's instinct is to find a way to save face and to get Myanmar back in, not to legitimize what they do, not at all, but to put pressure on them internally and in this way preserve a sense of solidarity to the world. I seem to hear you implying that what Cambodia is doing regarding Myanmar is, a, is an action that all the other ASEAN countries seem to implicitly support at a time when ASEAN openly said they would not deal with the Myanmar uh, government openly. Perhaps um, Kunapisit would like to comment. Let me start first by uh, supporting what George has said earlier about uh, the need for greater solidarity. And uh, it's not just this challenge from the tension between the superpowers and being forced to take sides, but I think the region is now in a position where most of its, uh, most of the countries require structural reform to deal with challenges that are regional or global in nature much, much more. And uh, I'm not quite so sure the sticky rice would be uh, strong enough, but uh, it, it certainly is what we need um, in order to navigate um, the, the, the challenges of the future. And uh, that's why I think it's important that we need to come up with common values and a sense of common destiny. And, you know, I've been disappointed by the fact that uh, if you look at areas like trade, where, yes, ASEAN has been instrumental in getting the ASEP, the RCEP going, but we also have the CPTPP, where some members of ASEAN are uh, party to, others are not. And uh, I've been disappointed that when China had her Belt and Road Initiative, and ASEAN had her own connectivity agenda already in place. Uh, we never really dealt with China on the Belt and Road as a region, but individual countries uh, went their own way. So we really need to do much, much more. Thank you. Now let's move on to macroeconomic issues. The pandemic has disrupted a lot of things, but I'd like to pose this open question to any of the panelists. What is your take on global supply chain disruption and its impact on the ASEAN economies. Yes, uh, this is effect of glo global situation that we are dependent, uh, interdependency each others and uh, for efficiency, for instance, in coals and palm oil, government suddenly stopping export of coal and some countries uh, Problems, but in the recent problem too, Java uh, Island especially, uh, Indonesia of course there are manufacturers, but uh, manufacturers in the depends on uh, local supply and natural resources. It is uh, it's neutral problems of supply chain, not depend on uh, many countries because because we are exporting uh, some of natural resources itself, and there are problems for two for the other country. We hope that uh, this this year after the pandemic, after uh, their supply chains will be much better. So you don't expect that because of 
companies, multinational companies wanting to relocate a little bit more out of China, Indonesia will be a net recipient. It will not be getting more than it used to and it will not be getting less. It will be neutral in terms of investment in Indonesia. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. After China, uh, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam uh, can, be, uh, move, uh, can be one of the places that uh, they move from China. This mm. is uh, hope that, uh, of course, if there are problems in China, in Indonesia, Vietnam, and Thailand will be one of the countries that can be receive uh, 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 industries that they were moving from China. Is that the view from our other panelists? Uh, let's say Kunapisit. With Vietnam being such a big competitor now and attracting so much FDI from elsewhere, do you think Thailand and its EEC policy will benefit uh, from supply chain disruption and investments elsewhere, or or what? Yeah, I think I think each country can probably find a, a, a niche or a, a, a you know set of projects that they might be able to attract. But I'd like to address this issue um, looking at the bigger picture, uh, which is that we can expect problems concerning not just the, the immediate problems concerning the supply chain, but the tensions between the superpowers, um, the recession of multilateralism and increased nationalism uh, all around the world. And I think it raises the question that um, shouldn't ASEAN be taking a look at her own um, integration project economically, um, despite you know making progress with the ASEAN economic community. It has to be said that the proportion of intra-ASEAN trade and investment continue to be low compared to other regional groupings. And we've not done enough in terms of providing the leadership to the private sector where they can exploit more complementarities between our economies so that we have our own uh, supply chain and feeding our not small market by any means. So um, yes, I'm, while I think we can continue to, to view the disruptions as uh, opportunities for competition to attract investment, but as a region, we should do much, much more to see what we can get out of uh, a deeper integration in our economies. You, you, you've just jumped the gun on the next broad issue on macroeconomics that I was going to talk about, and that is the, the big internal, the so-called internal market of ASEAN. So let me get to that, and I think we could probably spend quite a bit of time on that because for many of the business people here, that might be the real, the real prospect, whereas in the past, it was really servicing multinationals, uh, and that was the major business of SMEs in ASEAN. And now more and more, it is not just serving multinationals investing, here, but serving our own direct regional markets. But just to close the loop, perhaps I could hear from uh, Dr. Anwar and from George on this issue of foreign direct investment by multinationals arising from the supply chain disruption. How will that affect ASEAN? In a very big positive way? Uh, maybe uh, Dr. Anwar first and then, and then George? Well, uh, thank you. Um... You look at the figures and in our engagement with multinational companies, I mean, um, as Payuso mentioned, uh, Malaysia probably has gone down a bit. He mentioned only Indonesia, Thailand, and Vietnam. I, I, and I think that is a fact. 
But notwithstanding, there's a lot of interest, both from America or Europe or China. Um, although there has been some uh, delay because of the COVID uh, restrictions and SOPs. But I think um, it would depend on the capacity of uh, these uh, countries, the administration, how efficient uh, the speed of uh, approvals and the priorities, as I said, set on what we can offer. And, and I think uh, the volume is so huge uh, from China itself. Uh, and and um, the interest shown by the other countries is quite welcome, but uh, it, it is also contingent upon uh, political stability, etc., which I would say. But I think uh, on the second point, I made it uh, uh, clear, and I made reference to Supachai because he was really um, quite instrumental in pushing it. And I think given the present scenario, ASEAN would be compelled to work uh, harder uh, more focus on inter-regional um, uh, trade uh, and investments. Uh, there's huge potential there, but somehow the nationalistic fervor from the 80s to the 90s are so strong that we actually opt to delay. But now, I think circumstances are such that uh, given the scenario, I think uh, for Malaysia, we do need foreign direct investment. There's no question about it. We survived in the 80s, 90s uh, because of uh, the huge amount of foreign investments and the leadership give uh, such a, a focus and uh, priority, uh, including incentives to attract them. But at the same time, the inter-regional uh, trade and investments is pivotal. Thank you. George, you want to take on multinational investment before we move on to the next topic? There was a period before COVID when trade relations between China and U.S. were getting from bad to worse, a feeling in ASEAN that we could be an alternative manufacturing base to China. And we could see MNCs, American, Chinese, European, moving to Southeast Asia. And earlier on, Samsung had moved much of its production facilities from China to Vietnam. But when COVID happened, it became clear that within Southeast Asia, we can complement China, we can supplement China, but we can't replace China. China has the most vertically integrated economy in the world. Today, it is Vietnam which won the border to China to open because China has been shutting the border to keep out COVID. And it's affected manufacturing in Vietnam because many of the components go up and down. And we are seeing, to some extent, a reversal of manufacturing back into China because of COVID. China's, China's a big winner from COVID. China's approach is draconian. Something happens in the city, I shut down the city. But the whole country supports the city. There is another city number that get drawn, that the country supports that city, but the country as a whole is unmatched in its ability to manufacture. At the heart of the supply chain crisis is the fact that China is now manufacturing for the world. The ships leave China full. They come back empty. 
rates have gone up so much, 10, 15 times, that I'm not waiting for the containers. I'm leaving the containers there because containers are relatively cheap, relatively now. $2,000 versus, say, $15,000 freight across the Pacific. For most of its history, China has been more, the world has been more dependent on China than China is to the world because it is vast. It's got a huge population. And when it's at peace, its efficiency is unbelievable. We've all talked about being self-sufficient in PPE and masks and so on. But in the end, where do they come from? Most of them from China because no one can match China's productivity. ASEAN has overtaken the US a long time ago and Europe more recently to become China's number one top trading partner. China is very important to our collective future and we have got to think much harder, individually as countries and collectively as ASEAN, how to manage China's rise in a way to benefit ourselves. China's prosperity will bring prosperity to us in Southeast Asia. But we do not want to be under China's control. We want to be diversified. We want to have alternatives. But we can't do without China. And this is something we have to think very hard about. When Kun Abisit said, or was it uh, uh, Dato Sri Anwar, on the birth and road, yes, we need an ASEAN response, not just individual country response. The railroad from Kunming to Vientiane is now open. Thailand is linking up. But these are all piecemeal approaches. We need to think harder and deeper. The complementarity is in the climate and the geography between us and China. China is continental, temperate, dry. In Southeast Asia, we are maritime, tropical, plenty of rain. There's a natural complementarity. And the ethnic Chinese community in Southeast Asia provide easy links between China and Southeast Asia. My view is, if we play this right, our future will be very bright, and within one generation, every country in ASEAN can move up from being third world to either first world or being close to first world, if we play it right, if we stay united. I would now like to pose this to all the panelists who are great political leaders. And the question is, what can the governments of ASEAN do more to make it easier for SMEs to sell to each other, to visit each other? How can we really now, in the building back stronger stage of post-COVID Southeast Asia, truly create a regional economy of 600 million consumers that will have, over the next 10 years, true consumer buying power to lift all of us off into a better economic status. That's something that we as business people aspire for, and we look to political leaders for suggestions. So I throw it out here as a humble member of the business community to our great political leaders. What are you guys going to do to make it easier for us to reach that 600 million people within ASEAN? Any takers? Well, you know, um, when ASEAN embarked on a path on the connectivity agenda, it was clear that it wasn't just about physical connectivity, that we'd have to harmonize standards, regulations, 
and encourage more people to to people contacts and engagements. Now, I think, you know, we can all talk about the various technical issues that could help um, doing business in within ASEAN more seamless. But I think the biggest obstacle and the biggest challenge is we have to change our mindset. And I think um, Anwar said earlier that there is this um, obstacle of nationalism that is still very much in place where people within ASEAN do not feel themselves to be belonging to ASEAN and counting themselves as ASEAN citizens rather than just, you know, Thais, Filipinos, Malaysians or, or Singaporeans or Indonesians. So we need to overcome that obstacle, change the mindset and make sure that our political leaders, um, you know, when they, God knows how many times they meet in, uh, with, with their ASEAN counterparts, uh, look at the big picture and see how we can really, as I said, upgrade the ASEAN way so that we become much, much more integrated um, to, to tap into the strengths that we have and the, the complementarities we have. That's, I think, is the biggest challenge. What practical steps can ASEAN do to make the life of an ASEAN-based businessman better so that we can sell to each other more easily? Any concrete ideas? Well, so, I think um, there has been um, uh, various sessions and meetings, elaborate discussions, no doubt. But I think uh, we require political will to ensure that some of these things are enforced. I think making it easy for business to operate. I mean, that is a standard rule that all countries must adhere to. And that is not done in the way that uh, you said rightly, uh, we, we should at least uh, give it more emphasis. And the second is, of course, in order to have an ASEAN society. This was discussed, I think, in the early 80s, before even I joined the government then, that um, we should uh, probably uh, start supporting some key industries, a major fertilizer unit, fertilizer unit all import, but the billions annually, each country, or even um, as part, Yusuf mentioned, vehicle. But, you know, everyone wants to have a fair share and everybody has to uh, start their own because of the nationalistic fervor. I think uh, the leaders must just decide, you know, what one country can excel in and probably for a start, they should do it and then get the business uh, groups and support them in this initiative. Thank you. George? We could certainly do with more leadership and more political will. But those of us who have been at this for many years of our lives know that there is a rhythm in such things. We can try. We don't always succeed. But we should not stop trying. Year by year, it seems as if we are not making very much progress. But when we look at it over five years, over 10 years, ASEAN has, has come a long way. <clears throat> what is as important, probably more important, is to follow economic flows. ASEAN integration had a boost with American MNCs, then with Japanese MNCs. Today, there's a flood of Chinese money. It's causing inflation in Singapore, in many sectors. And I'm sure it's in all the countries of ASEAN. China is the only one producing for the world. It's collecting 
all that money being printed. And they're not keeping that money in treasuries. They're using that money to buy up things in the world. It could be bungalows, it could be cars, it could be factories, it could be roads and bridges. We have to think through Chinese money in Southeast Asia, which is becoming a flood. How do we channel it so that we become more integrated? In this way, we do not work and try to direct the economy. We work with economic flows and we are more likely to succeed that way. Thank you. Um, we, we're, we're coming to the closing part, and essentially the, the question I'd like to pose to each of you, uh, starting with Indonesia, would be, if there's one wish, one wish for your country and for Indonesia that could happen within the next two to five years, and that will have an impact on the region and on your country for many years after that, what would you wish for? One wish, and one wish is going, how we are going normal before pandemic. How we can go back to, to a new normal. <laughs> is that new normal going to be better than the old normal or worse than the old normal? Thank you, that's a very positive note. I think the next conference, I hope to be able to see everybody without a mask on. George, your wish. <laughs> well, helter-skelter globalization has reached zenith. Globalization will not go away, but there is considerable relocalization going on. Even in Singapore, we are discovering, rediscovering our neighborhoods. Little shops, restaurants, food paths, neighborhood parks, which in the past, we had no time to look at or to patronize. Then we say, it's actually, it's quite a nice neighborhood. And we begin to know our neighbors again. This is healthy. It is human. It is organic. I hope as a result of COVID, we will rediscover Southeast Asia. We will rediscover ourselves as common inhabitants of this region in the world. And it will make us a better people and better secure a common future together. Thank you. Dr. Anwar? Well, we will have this opportunity to rebuild, strengthen our capacity if we deal with real problems affecting our people through good governance. And don't forget, um, these two years have caused so much calamities. Abject poor has increased phenomenally. Uh, the inequality has increased. And I think, and, and, and because of that, Racial tension has uh, risen, partly because of the uh, political leaders using the race card and the religious bigotry. And I, I wish that uh, Malaysia and of course ASEAN would uh, deal with macroeconomic issues, investments, but do not ignore the plight of the downtrodden. Thank you. You have the last word. Can I proceed? My wish is that uh, with all the disruptions that are taking place, uh, not just from COVID, but from the structural problems I mentioned before, that the next two or three years uh, wakes up the people, the governments in Thailand, in the region, that we find a, a newfound energy and purpose 
uh, to reshape the region to be much stronger and much more equitable. Thank you very much, all of you. It's been very rare for me to see a conference where uh, Bank of Singapore has been able to organize a panel session with the true leaders of ASEAN. And it's with, in my view, one of the thing, best outcomes of COVID, as George has also said, is the realization that ASEAN and Southeast Asia really must come together even more. And we really have the economic foundation for this now. The GDP per capita of most people in ASEAN have reached what economists would call a takeoff point. And the next 20 years is really very, very bright for ASEAN. So thank all, I thank all the panelists. Thank you all. This podcast was brought to you by Bank of Singapore.